This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Good morning. Good morning. I feel like you're flying so a bit skeef. I feel like a bit lopsided this evening. So, Jakumin, you and Peter Allen, you guys will have to sit, sit still on that side. No, no, don't go, Peter Allen. Now it's going to tip. <laughs> Wonderful. It's always a, a joy to be here with you guys in Wolfish and the, the friendly people. And I have to uh, say it really looks beautiful. I think I've been, can't remember, October, November last year, last time I were here. And uh, I love the poster. It's beautiful. And I think at the back that sits, says, let's grow together. I just want to agree with what Dani said as well. Um, that church isn't a program. It's not a anything like that. It's a place where we where we grow together and where we fellowship together. And uh, what a joy that is always to take these steps together and just to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and what He wanted to do this morning and still wants to do and what He wants to do this afternoon and tonight and tomorrow morning. And He's always busy building in our lives. And uh, as I said, yeah, wonderful to be here. I'm going to, I just have to. I believe it's a part of my calling. I always have to do a little bit of Bible school um, uh, marketing as well. We are doing the same in uh, Swakopmund. So uh, I just want to share a little bit just to help you or maybe encourage you even just a little bit more. I believe most of you guys uh, have a heart to study the word already. But I just want to share a little bit, maybe from a little different perspective, something to help us as we study God's word or to encourage you in your own quiet time to study the word or as a group in Bible school. That's always a, a joy to study together. So I'm going to start with something that sounds a very complicated, but it's not. And that's, I don't want to lose you in the first two minutes of the sermon. But uh, when we do a little bit of uh, Bible interpretation, because we are so far removed in time and culture, usually from the original writers, there's uh, the writers, um, the authors, Wickler and Ayayu, they say we have to start with a bit of a historical cultural analysis, just to go and see a little bit who were the Philistines and the Jews and the, the Greeks and all the cultures and the thing they do. And part of that, of doing a, a historical cultural analysis is to do a contextual analysis. Now we just have to remind ourselves when we read a verse, we've got a favorite verse, John 3.16 or, or whichever that might be, that is part of a bigger part of scripture, that's part of as the Bible is the, the Bible we read is divided in different chapters, and there's letters, and there's gospels, and there's a New Testament, and there's an old, and every little um, small part for, forms something of something bigger that God actually wants to tell us. He's got a message for us, and sometimes, you know, I'm going to use the example of Matthew. Um, I'm going to share a little bit from Matthew 18, Matthew 20 this morning. I'm going to share a little bit on our favorite topic called serving. Serving, we all love to serve, don't we? It's awesome in life. Some of us, for some of us, it comes a little bit, little bit more natural than others. I've got my kids there at home, I've got one servant, and I've got two that I have to remind all the time that it's biblical to serve and to shape their hearts and their characters. But uh, just back to the little bit of Bible school marketing, um, 
You know, if we take our Bibles, sometimes we read a few verses and we think, now we're finished for the day, we've been good Christians, and sometimes we read a chapter or two, and then we feel, now really, now we're getting into it, but hopefully it's a place where we will connect with God. But sometimes it's important just to, as I say, to, to study a little bit around just the verse that you are reading in front of you. I'm going to use Matthew 18 to Matthew 21 as an example, just for us in terms of time and progress. So if we go to Matthew, you can just uh, follow with me. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to it. Um, Not all of it will be on the board right now. But if we read Matthew 18, it says um, they arrived in Capernaum. So they were there in the north of Israel, Peter. No, no, I've been a long time. Yeah, Peter. Yeah. You can go to the, there's a map that I've got there, one useless map and one map that will probably work. I think the one is a bit too small. But you will see in Matthew 18, it says that Jesus arrives in Capernaum. That's there in the north of Israel. It's not a very big, um, maybe one, aha, there you go. The one at your right hand side will be useless. The one to the left will hopefully work. You'll see there Capernaum, there where it says Galilee. Can you see Capernaum? It's there in the north of of Israel, I don't know, has any of you been to Israel? I haven't. It's one of my many, many faith goals. I would love to go there one day just to, to see what it looks like. I've seen many pictures. But then we see in chapter 19, it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went down to the region of the Judea, east of the Jordan River. Now, in chapter 21, we see Jesus is in Jerusalem, Okay. So, did he travel with in Namibia? Did he take the train? Did he take the bus? No, Jesus was a fit man. There's about a 200 kilometers distance from um, Capernaum in the north to Jerusalem, quite down into the south. So, that would mean you have to walk all the way from Walfish Bay, more or less, to Karabib. No, that's about 200 kilometers. Isakos is from Swakop, 140. Karabub is 170. So from Walfish, it must be about 200 kilometers. Eh? Who of you have walked 200 kilometers recently? I haven't. Did someone raise a hand? I didn't see that. Okay. Bottom line is, if you take your Bible in the morning and say, good, I'm going to study a bit, I'm going to read a bit, and you read from Matthew um, chapter 18 to 20, 21, you might think, well, just because it's, you can probably read it in 10, 20 minutes, I don't know how quick you read or how fast you read, but we, we, we have to just see, as I said, what these authors, authors, <laughs> authors said, you know, um, that every verse is part of a bigger, something a little bit bigger, and just to make sure, I use this example to show you, in verse eight, or chapter 18, Jesus was there in Capernaum, and then he was going down to Galilee, not to Galilee, to, to Jerusalem, and that, that's about 200 kilometers. So, you know, I guess that was a few nights on the road. It was good time for him and the disciples. Obviously, Jesus wasn't just doing a, a tour around the country, going from, just, not just from town to town. There was purpose why he was going to, to Jerusalem, and I will show you just now. But just to, to show you a little bit more and to go into a little bit more detail, when you go and do a bit of a background study on how Jesus was traveling, you will see, especially the Pharisees, there was that area, Samaria of Samaria, okay, they're on the, more on the left-hand side. Do you all get it? I don't have a little red mark or something to, to point there, but you will see Samaria. Now, if you go to Second Kings chapter 17, you will see there was a time 
um, after Israel broke up to the north and the south, Israel and, and Judah, you see there was a lot of prophets, a lot of people that God sent to warn his people, warn his people, warn his people, and they didn't listen. So the Assyrians came and they carried uh, some of the, of the Jews, they, they, they were carried into exile, okay? So the king of Assyria were very clever. He, he, he carried away um, some of the um, Jews into his own country, and he, then he sent a lot of his own people to Samaria, okay? So there was Jews, and then there were people of a foreign um, group. So they were unequally yoked. That They did that so that they wouldn't just get into unity again and revolt again and fight again and all of that. Okay, but these people, these Assyrians that came to, to stay there in Samaria, okay, they were pagans completely. They didn't serve God. So the sad part is the, the Jews that stayed behind and the Assyrians, they mixed in a sense. So now they started to serving God and all the pagans, and that was, that was, a, that was a mess. It was, it was a complete mess. So when the, eventually when the Jews came back, they hated these guys. Hate is a very strong word, but they despised them. Okay? So what actually happened is when the Jews were traveling from the north, they would, wouldn't take the shorter route through Samaria to Jerusalem, okay? um, with, uh, Jerusalem where they had to be. They traveled on, on my right-hand side. They, they made a point of not traveling even through Samaria. That's the way they despised them. That's the way they, in a sense, hated them. Okay, and it's very interesting to see when in the church of Acts and after, you know, Jesus was crucified and then in the church of Acts, the Holy Spirit fell on them and then they were sent out. Okay, the, the, the disciples were sent out and where did they, we see in Matthew 28, where, where did they have to go? To Judea and Samaria, Samaria and to the ends of the world. Okay, now it's almost, if I use Peter Allen and Donnie this morning and Okay, this is now, I'm, I'm on, on thin ice in a sense, but I'm just using it. Let's say they really, really don't like each other. And I'm saying, Peter Allen, now you're going to go to Dani's country and you're going to preach the gospel there. These, this, these people, these Dani people that they despised, that they didn't love, and now they're taking the gospel there. We see in, I think, Acts chapter 8 or 9, we see, I think, Philip and Peter, they went to Samaria to preach the gospel. And what is that about? It's about God's love for all people. We are Samaritans. We can say it in that sense. We aren't Jews. We are Gentiles. But it's just interesting to see God's heart there. Okay? So two things I just want to see you to help you maybe with Bible school is when you read three or four chapters, there might be a lot of distance. There might be a lot of time. Jesus didn't travel that to 200 kilometers in one or two days. That's a lot of walking with the little stick and the friends. Okay? They were on route for a while. And then secondly, if you just do a bit of a study and see why they didn't travel through Samaria and they, what happened actually way back in 2 Kings 17, how, how it was out of a place of disobedience that they were carried into exile and then everything that happened. To me, that is just, I just love it. Just to see how things happen in the Word of God, how things come together. And I want to encourage you that when you study a portion of Scripture, okay, that you will get a Bible dictionary, a Bible commentary, a study Bible, that you'll invest in something, okay, just to help you a little bit. Because none of us have been to, to Israel, okay, none of us understand the background. And it's just interesting that when you see in Acts, Acts, that they go and take the gospel, the good news of Christ, even to Samaria, 
okay? Um, there was a portion, now you can help me, I didn't rehearse this, if I can put it like that, um, where Jesus and, and, and his um, disciples were traveling, and I think it was Peter and John, when the Samaritans didn't want to welcome them. And then they asked Jesus, should we call down fire to destroy it? Okay, that was how, how much they despised the Samaritans. And then later on, they had to take the gospel there. So when you read that part and you see, now Jesus, God's heart is for all people, for all nations. Even the Samaritans. Even if we study John chapter 4, the woman at the well, then we will see the whole issue about the Samaritans once again. And that is just to encourage you. So please say amen. Are you encouraged? I tried my best. Okay. Please go and do Bible school. It actually doesn't end there. Just I'll, 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 no, I can't say I'll be fast because pastors just can't do that. You know, I'll be lying. I'll try my best to be as quick as possible. But you see, when they go there into Jerusalem, that's a prophecy fulfilled. I'm just going to read quickly um, from Matthew 21 when they are eventually into Jerusalem. We can see in um, Matthew chapter 20, Jesus said, listen, uh, we are going to Jerusalem and you know where the Son of Man has to be crucified. Chapter 21, the very important part, the triumphal entry, it's a prophecy fulfilled. And I'm just going to backtrack that very quickly in uh, Matthew chapter 21. Let's read from verse three onwards, it will say, I think I've got a little bit more there, but let's read from verse three. It says, if anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them. You will immediately let them take you. That was the donkeys. And in verse four, it says, this, this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on donkey's colt. Now this, if we go and take that back, it's a prophecy fulfilled from um, Zechariah where he prophesied in Zechariah 9 or chapter 9 verse 9 about this exact portion of scripture. It was about 500 years before Jesus entered Jerusalem. I think 500, 520 years before. Now that just put the word of God in an amazing category of its own. Prophecy being fulfilled. This isn't the, the first and the last prophecy in scripture. It's one of Many, many, many. I'm going to lie if I tell you exactly how many um, prophecies. I just studied um, Jeremiah a while ago. And I think Jeremiah, there's more than 660 verses in the book of Jeremiah. That's prophecy fulfilled. Fulfilled prophecy. Stuff that we can prove in a sense that you wrote. And then later on we could see stuff that, let's call it, happened, came to pass. Isn't that awesome. Isn't that amazing? Jesus riding here on a donkey, and it might just seem like something the way he traveled, okay, because he didn't have a car, but it's a prophecy of 500 years ago happening exactly the way. Go and study Isaiah. There's so many prophecies. So now you're really excited about Bible school. Amen. Great stuff. I really tried. Good. So uh, speak to Donnie and Johnny and Peter Allen and all the men or ladies in church if you want to know a little bit more. I'm actually going to share a little bit on serving this morning. And I believe it must be one of the foundational things. It is not, probably something, nothing new that, that I'm talking about this morning. But I believe, especially at the end of, of, of the start of a year, it's important that we do talk a little bit about serving. And I'm, I've got a few things that hopefully it might challenge you a little bit. Um, but it's something, as I said, for some of us, it does come a little bit more easy. You know, some people in, in life are more servant-hearted. 
and then others, for some of us, it's, it's, it's a bit more of a growth process and a taking up our cross and a dying to self, etc. I came across and I read a, a quote from the uh, uh, um, British newspaper, and it said there, most people wish to serve God. It will be there on the slides. Most people wish to serve God, but in an advisory capacity only. I'm going to read it again. I thought it, there's a lot of truth in that. Most people wish to serve God, but in an advisory capacity only. Now, there's a lot of people who just don't want to serve God, full stop. That's a fact, okay, in the world we live in today. But then there's a lot of people that say, yeah, God, I will serve you. But remember, God, I'm just going to tell you when and what you must do, how you must do it, how fast, is, how fast it must happen. You know, God, that, that house I'm selling, that children of mine, my prayer list, all those things. Um, God, I just need to advise you and tell you, um, you know, how this thing works. And that's not how it works. That's a complete lie. And sometimes the church is very guilty that we have just our prayer list. And I just want to say amen again, Donnie, that the church isn't the program. It's not a, a set of stuff that we do just to do it. It's a life. It's, a, it's, a, it's our everything. Okay? And that's where serving um, really comes in. I think many times if we are honest with ourselves, even in church, you know, when someone asks us a favor, usually we think, so what is, it, what is in it for me? What do I get out of it? Um, how long will it take me? Does it fit into my time schedule? How busy am I, etc.? You know, and I see it even in my children's lives, and I have to bring correction there, because they, you know, because how does the world work? The work, the work, the work. I had the athletics yesterday, so I had too much sun and pancakes and all that nonsense. So I'll just blame it on that. If I drive here, I give $200 and they give me petrol or diesel for my car. When I go to a shop, you know, I pay my cash and I get food or bread or milk or whatever. So we live in this society, this capitalist worldview, where we pay for stuff. You cut your hair, you wash a car, whatever a farmer produces um, He's, he's, he's uh, whatever he produces, okay, it, it did rain a little bit in Namibia the past few days, praise God for that, but that's how it works, so we come with this mentality to church many times where we say, but I will do this, but what do I get out of it, but, but how, how close to the truth is that, um, and unfortunately, we, we do have this thing where we have a lot of top tens, top ten investments, top ten holiday destinations, top ten this, top ten schools, top ten athletes, and we bring a lot of these things to church. And um, sometimes not consciously, but you know, in a sense, it's it just part of who we are. And those things we need to get out of our system. Now, I want to read a scripture to you that I can relate to in many ways. It's a parallel scripture of. Uh, Mark chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 18 that I want to read to you. It will be up there. And it was about Jesus and the disciples in Capernaum, which is where in Jerusalem? The north. Okay, now you know that. You have to remember that now. It says there in uh, Mark chapter 9 verse 33, After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, What were you discussing out on the road? But I didn't answer because they have been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Then he sat them down, called the disciples, and I'm just going to read till there. Okay. So we all know keeping quiet is an is a answer as well sometimes. Okay. 
Who didn't flush the toilet at home? Okay, bad example. <laughs> but all those of you with kids will, will, will understand. Who of you didn't make his bed? Okay, who broke the glass? Who, whose shoes are just laying here? And sometimes it just keep quiet because the guilty one, no, he's guilty, it's mine, but it's obvious, you know. Kids, their faces usually tell it. We don't have to take them to court or anything like that. When we are guilty, I remember when I was a child sometimes and I did something wrong and daddy's like, why did you do it? Or was it you who did it or what? I'm like, just keep quiet because you know, whatever you say, you just can make it worse maybe right now. Just keep quiet and start repenting of that. But Jesus, just who he was, I mean, the disciples couldn't hide anything anything from him. I think he knew exactly about everything. You know, he obviously had discernment. He was the Holy Spirit. He's God. He's everything. Okay? So he obviously saw what was happening. He saw their hearts. And it was okay. He didn't fire them there on the spot. He was developing them, discipling them, walking with them. And they, his scripture says, they sat probably down. And he's like, so, so tell me, guys. Tell me, Peter, Alan, Donnie, you guys, they're on the road. When it got a bit loud there at the back, you thought I didn't hear. What were you talking about? What was it about? Shh, it's quiet. They don't say anything. Because they probably at this stage understood they're fighting about who is the greatest. Okay? Who is the greatest among them? Now, Scripture doesn't say, but what do you think were the criteria they were using at that stage? Okay? They've been with Jesus now for a while. Was it about the size of altar calls, casting out the most demons. I don't know who's the best preacher, who's the strongest, who of them made the best fire, who of them sat the most next to Jesus, who carried Jesus' bag maybe. Maybe they thought, what, what do you think they were using? How do you think their fight sounded like? Okay, now how does our normal people, how do we sound like sometimes? Kids, adults, even worse, okay, who's the greatest? My house is bigger than yours. My car is faster than yours. There's always these ads with, I think there was a Toyota one a while ago with the three boys. My dad is like this and my dad is like that. Okay? Sometimes it's not that serious. But I would wish, I would like to hear what they were fighting and what, how, they, how would they, what criteria they were using. Okay? And Jesus, at this stage, he knew their hearts so well. And we see the parallel part in Matthew 18. Matthew gives it in a little bit of a different version to us. I just want to read it. And it, um, it says there in Matthew chapter 18, now this is Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. He's having some of his last teaching opportunities to teach them kingdom values, how the kingdom is different from the world. And here in, in, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 to 4, it says, about that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, they want to, why, why are they asking? Why do we ask questions? We ask questions because we want to know the answer. Isn't it true? We want to know what's, they want to know what Jesus will say, because then they still can figure out who's the greatest. If Jesus say, the one that can run the fastest, the one who can, okay, they didn't preach the gospel at that stage, but you hear if it were ministry, oh, my church is bigger than yours. Oh, our church building is better. Oh, I've got more elders. I've got what, what, what. Okay? It probably sounded something like a bad part of the American church, or maybe even the local one. I don't know. But they're asking this question, 
And as I said, just think about maybe what they were arguing about, how they were, what criteria they were using. And here Jesus brings the correction in verse 2. He says, Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then, then he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven, number one. Number two, so anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. How do you think they received that? They were walking there fighting about who's the greatest, usually, probably usually using worldly criteria, Dave. And... Uh, here Jesus comes, he brings a little child. Now, in the culture of those days, you know, children were, they didn't have any social status. In the ancient Near East, in those cultures, you know, as you grew up and you became older, your, your, your social status and your authority and, and those things increased, okay? Children, just as today in many ways, were, were vulnerable. But Jesus brings this little child, this small little child who doesn't own anything probably, doesn't have anything, isn't, very, isn't strong, nothing. And he says, this little child. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What would you say is the opposite of a humble small child? I think it would be something like an arrogant adult. God resists the pride, the proud, Okay. So God is teaching them something about what the world looked back then and right now. And he says, in my kingdom, in my community, in my church, things will be different. If you want to be the greatest, become humble, become small. It's not what you get out of the deal. It's not what you are paid for serving in church. It's not who sees you. Pastor Stephen Lungu, I remember that example so well a few years ago at men's camp. He said some of the young men he raised as disciples to become leaders and pastors. After a few years, they are walking there with four body, bodyguards and their hummer is standing outside. And these two guys needed to carry their Bible and they just become big and massive. That's not what Jesus said. And then he goes to those guys and he wants an appointment with them. But then there's four secretaries, you know, about just to get to this guy. That's just so wrong. Becoming proud, I've, I've arrived, I've made it, I'm the man type of thing. And here Jesus comes and he turns this, things, this thing upside down. Whether you are serving in church, doesn't matter who sees you. Our hearts should be to do it for God, okay? For his church, for, for, for what is. And I mean, that comes at the cost. You will agree with me? It's not just, it's, it's going to cost you something. It will cost you your time. It will cost you maybe family time, okay? But this is the currency that God's kingdom in many ways are running on. It's not a, I'll make the coffee, so why do you pay me? That, that's not how it works. So if we continue on to Matthew chapter 20, which is the main scripture I actually want to get to, Let's read from Matthew, so now you will see it's a little bit further in time, even close to Jerusalem. Jesus is using some of these last opportunities to teach his disciples what, what, what the kingdom of God will look like. Good, Matthew, Matthew okay, maybe I'm just going to quickly explain that short little passage before 25, because it's the same thing happening here. If you've studied that portion of scripture, you will see 
eats the, now, now you can help me maybe, um, I'm not sure what her name was, the lady coming and he says, Jesus, can my two sons sit at your right hand and your left hand? Now, now what will that refer to? That is power and status. Can my sons be the men? Can they be the, the leaders among you? And then Jesus, once again, because it seems that they still don't understand this principle. They don't get what this kingdom, it's not going to be an earthly kingdom where the Jews are going to throw off the yoke of the Romans and all the oppressors and rule again. It's going to be something totally different. And that, that passage leads us to 20, uh, verse 25. Then Jesus called them together and said, okay, that's marketing for small group again. He called them together and he says, let's talk. Dick fella, said Jelle. Peter Allen, Jesus is going to teach you right now. You know the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Just a bit of context once again, the Romans. Okay, if there were riots, if there were rebellion or anything like 100 to 200 years before the Maccabees and those things, um, those guys, before Jesus' time, the Romans would crush it. Okay. Jesus wasn't the first guy crucified there on, on Golgotha, okay? They were ruthless. They didn't take nonsense. So, so they understood in the context. They understood what worldly leaders and worldly rulers were like. Verse 26, but among you it will be different. And that's a key to me, okay? Jesus says to them, among, he says, you know what the world and leadership in the world looks like? And then he continues and he says, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and gave his life as a ransom for many. Guys, I think there's, there's more than one sermon here. There's a lot in what the, Jesus is teaching his disciples there 2,000 years ago, but it's for us as well. He says, guys, it will be different among you. It, it, it will look different. And that's why it's important that we as the church are, will be ambassadors for Christ, that we will have that sweet aroma, and everything about us will say we are different. It's not a we are better than the world, but it's different. We are in Christ. We've died to ourselves. Serving must become natural and part of who we are and what we do. Now, I use the example, and I, I'm not, I use the exact numbers of Swakop, so I will use that as an example just because I have more access to the stats there. You can maybe make a calculation for your own church here. But, you know, in church circles, they many times talk about the 20% doing the 80% of the work. You ever heard about that? Okay, I mean, many times there's a small group of people really working hard, doing a lot of work. Now, the past Sundays, we are give and take sometimes about children, and there's a lot of them babies in our church, about 300 people. Okay. So if, if 20%, 20% from 300 is 60 people, that means if 20% of the church in our context in Swakopmund, where I spend most of my time, would serve, you know, then we would have 60 volunteers, people helping us. Do you think we have that? Nope. Maybe half of that. Not even half of that, okay? If we would say to each other, let's see if we can get 50%, okay? 
then we would have 150 people willing to save in church. If we go to 80% of the church serving, turning that thing upside down, we will have from that 300 people, 240 will be serving somewhere, sometime. Do you think that will be great? Or do you just think it will be biblical? What did Jesus just tell us hmm, about serving and giving your time, etc.? Okay? So I'm teaching the Word of God here this morning. I'm not trying to manipulate you into serving. I'm not your pastor in that sense. I maybe just, hopefully you'll see me as a friend or something. I don't know. But you know, there's a lot of truth in that. If we have more people that serve in church, in our community, wherever, can we do more or less? Okay? And as I say, it's not about stats or about percentages. It's about what is Jesus teaching us? Jesus wasn't just serving, riding on a donkey. He gave his life. Okay? He gave his life. I mean, that, that last passage, I just, last verse, the, the Son of Man did not uh, um, came to be served, but to serve others and to give, to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was okay with dying on a cross, the ultimate sacrifice. He washed people's feet, okay? I mean, he was the king of, king, king of kings and the lord of lords, and he said, I will wash your feet. I mean, washing people's feet, we were traveling 200 kilometers, walking in the dust, all of that. That's a servant's heart. He was a servant leader. And I believe it's so important that we get verse 26. There's going to be a slide there, Peter. Um, I guess you'll, I'll, I'll help you um, where it says, a leader among you must be your servant. Yeah, there it is. Thanks. It says two things you can try to remember this morning. It says, whoever want to be, whoever want to be, a leader among you must be your servant and who wants to be first among you must become your slave. Okay, servants wasn't well paid, but slaves were usually forced into that position. It wasn't a nice place with all the human rights. We know they were educated slaves, etc., but it wasn't, slavery wasn't a glorious job to have. Okay, you were either in serious financial trouble or you got there. I'm not going to talk too much about what that means. Um, but it says here, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Now imagine if I just tell my children, I've got three, you want to be the leader because you serve the other two. Oh, dad, but I'll give you ten reasons. They did this to me and they did that to me and they don't give anything and they never help me. But what is Jesus, Jesus saying? If you want to be a leader among you, you must be a, a servant. And then he continues, he says, if you want, because remember now, they were fighting about who's the greatest, who can sit at Jesus' right hand and left hand. Then he says, whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave, okay? That's challenging. That's challenging in many ways, but Jesus was practicing what he was preaching. Jesus wasn't just like, okay, guys, I'm here, the, the king and the leader, and I've got someone carrying my Bible, and carrying my sword and all of that. Jesus didn't have one. I'm just trying to give you an example, okay? But he was, he was willing to serve up to the point of saying, I love you so much. I will serve you so much. I will even give my life 
that you can be reconciled to the Father. Now, I think usually in eternity one day, um, I spoke to a friend of mine in Swakop this morning and something about what happened yesterday, and we just agreed on God is so good. Both of us can just say to each other as friends and Christians, God is just so good. But what we experience right now is a dripple in the emmer, a drop of water in the bucket in terms of eternity. And we, we miss it. We, we, we usually in our rushed life, we don't see these things. Jesus really lived this thing. One author in his commentary on this, he says, when he gives commentary on this passage, he says, the issue is not to present a new way to greatness. Remember, the disciples want to know, so how do we, who's the greatest, or how does it work? Give us an answer. And he says, the issue is not to present a new way to greatness, a more noble way than that of authority and power. It is rather that desire to be great itself, to be eliminated. Because we mustn't bring the worldly top ten top best, all those things, and say, I'm, I'm not talking about excellence this morning. Don't get me wrong. The church must be clean. The welcoming guys must be friendly. The coffee should be good. The discipleship at Bible school, it should be great. Don't confuse excellence here. I'm doing what you do, doing it good. Okay? I'm not talking about that. But it's that thing that, almost want to say, that demon of, I want to be the best. Okay? You can say, God, I want to serve you with everything, but I don't think we should say, I'm the best small group facilitator. We've got the best church in town. Our Bible school is the best. It can be excellent and godly and a lot of other words, but that whole desire that we have many times to be the best, to be the greatest, that was the, this whole time what Jesus was saying, guys, if you want to be great, become like a humble child. You don't have to preach the best sermon and then your name is going to be up there. There's no badges. There's no stuff. Our reward will be one day with our Father. Okay? It's not here right now where we say, I'm the top servant and I'm the best pastor or the best usher or the best coffee maker or whatever it might be. Jesus was teaching here to say, I am the king. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I am the eternal Christ. Okay? But you know what? I come to serve you, to become your slave, to give my life to you. And as I say, I think we, we just grasp that in a small portion. In eternity, we will, one day we will see so much more of what it means to be with the Father. And it's not just about missing hell, making it into heaven. It's about relationship. It's about being with our Father. So... If I continue, where's the time? Paul continues, and I, I'm, I'm not going to spend too much time on that, but he says we should, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 11, he says, we must, um, he says, uh, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul is following Christ, he's imitating Christ, he's doing what Christ does, that, and Paul says to me and to you, now look at me. And then, just to, to put that two chapters earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 18 to 22, it says, What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right as in, in the gospel. Verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. 
bull, this man of God, he says, what Jesus did in terms of, of being a servant leader, in terms of being a slave, in terms of, of, of giving all of that, Paul says here, I have made myself a servant to all. Paul got shipwrecked, he got stoned, beaten with rods, imprisoned, he went to a lot. But it wasn't what my paycheck is. It, it wasn't like what car do I drive, what, how big my ministry is, how big my altar calls is. Okay? We shouldn't think like the world in terms of what is great and what is big. We should, we should think in God's currency, in what Jesus came to give us as an example. Okay? Jesus came to serve, and here Paul makes it very clear. He says, I want to be a servant to all. I'm a servant. I don't, I don't mind. I will even lose certain things just to win some of you to the gospel. Now, I have to be honest with you. You were talking about intercession earlier on, waking up early, going to bed at night, late. Some stuff in the kingdom will cost you. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. That was why Jesus said we're going to take up a cross and follow him, saying it's not just easy all the time. It's going to take effort. It's going to take planning. It's going to take energy, all of those things. But that is what we are called to serve. We are called to, to walk in Paul's and Jesus' footsteps here. I got a, a beautiful example of Franklin Roosevelt. You know who he was? American president. And he had an advisor with the name Harry Hopkins. And Harry Hopkins, especially here at, during the Second World War, he was one of the, the men very close to the president. And a lot of his, his po political opposition, they, they think this guy was a bit dodgy because the, he didn't have the official uh, place in, in President Roosevelt's cabinet. He didn't have a certain portfolio. And he was, it seemed that he was almost floating a little bit there. And then one at a certain stage, one of the political opposition parties, one of the leaders, he asked him, so why do you keep Hopkins so close to you? Because it was quite evident that this guy had a lot of influence on the president. And I want to read it to you. And his answer was, you surely realize that people distrust him and resent his influence. That is Hopkins now. And then Roosevelt replied and he said, someday you may well be sitting here where I am now as the president of the United States. And when you are, you'll be looking at that door over there and knowing that practically everybody who walks through it wants something out of you. You'll learn what a lonely job this is and you will discover the need for someone like Harry Hopkins who asks for nothing except to serve you. That's not in the church even. That's in the world. And here the president documented, it says, you know what, this guy, Harry Hopkins, he doesn't walk in through this door and ask me for a lot of playing check, uh, uh, not check, skark with me, um, and trying to get something, you know. He's just here to serve me. And you know what, every leader will pick up and sense who is people that want something out of them, and who is just a Harry Hopkins who's just there to help, just to serve. And this is, a, as I said, this isn't a, in the context of the church even. You know what is the most precious thing in life, or some of the most precious things, is when you're really in trouble and you can phone someone and ask that person, can you pray for me? And you know they will do it. 
When you're really down and out, 10 o'clock at night, 3 o'clock at night, early morning, over a weekend, wherever, you're really in trouble, what type of trouble it might be. And you might say, my friend, I just need a friend right now. Can you just, just serve me right now? I don't want anything from you. And those people are scarce. And we, all of us, know in life who's those people, like Harry Hopkins, that I can just phone and say, Peter Allen, man, I just need to talk to you. Let's just have a coffee. I know it's going to cost you time. I know you're busy, but I just need someone to talk to right now. I just need to share my heart here. I just, I just need a bit of wisdom. I just need someone I can trust, someone who will be there for me. Okay? And even in the church context, I guess after a while we know who are those people who aren't just always busy, who then never have time, who will be there, who we can say, can you help me out? Can you, can you do this or that for me? My good friend Yaku is preaching this morning in Swakop, and tonight he's got somewhere he has to be that's really special. And he asked me, will you preach in my place? With two days' notice, by the way. <laughs> and I said to him, Yaku, I'll do it anytime. That's, that's friendship. That's something where it doesn't matter what it costs you. It doesn't matter if I have to sit late at night and prepare for that sermon because it won't be the same than this one. It's, man, I'll do it for you. I don't care what it costs me, but I'll do it for you. And that is just something about the heart of serving. It's the heart of not being the greatest in the church, not being the greatest, but coming into line with what Jesus taught us, taught us about being like a little child, not a proud, arrogant adult, but a humble child. And to serve and to say, but listen, I will wash your feet. I will, I will serve you. I'll do the dirty work. I don't care who sees me. I don't care who looks at me. I don't care what my reward is right now, even if there is anything like that. So I want to ask you to all close your eyes. Maybe, Peter, you can have some music there because I've got one or two things that I just felt that, uh, that I just want to hold before us this morning and I just want to pray before I share that. So thank you, Lord Jesus, that that you came to give your life, Lord, as a ransom, Lord God. You paid the ultimate penalty. You paid the price. Thank you for the kingdom values that you said that in your kingdom it will be different. Among us, among your people, it will be different. It's not what we can get out of life. It's not about us. It's not about being great. But following Paul and Jesus, being servants, being slaves, being mistreated even. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for us as the church that your spirit will change us, fill us, transform us and help us to give us servant hearts where it's not about us and me and myself and my time but about your kingdom, about giving no matter what we get back or who sees us. Come and change us, Lord Jesus. If you are here this morning and maybe there was there were stuff that happened in your life sometime, maybe you got hurt or offended in a church, maybe in a certain season, maybe you wanted to give your best and sing or serve or greet and someone said, but... You're not good enough. Maybe someone laughed at your contribution somewhere. Maybe a church leader hurt you. Maybe it was a small group leader. 
Maybe you just feel you're not good enough. Maybe, maybe there's reasons in your heart this morning why you said, I'm not going to serve again because the pain was too much. Maybe someone was really hard on you. Maybe someone disappointed you somewhere along the line. Maybe someone failed you. And those are the things that happen. But if you made some type of a vow in your heart and you said, I'm not serving because no one appreciates it, no one sees it, I will not give my time to the church again. And I trust that there's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to change your heart and to change your mind this morning. Because it really isn't about the church. It's about your relationship with Christ. And to have a willing heart to say, Lord, I will take up my cross. Even if someone laughs at me every Sunday. Lord, it's not about them, it's about you. Jesus hanging there on the cross, beaten, shamed, naked. He got nothing out of it except buying us, paying the price, the blood of Christ. So I don't know what happened in your life up till here. You walk with, with Christ and God's people. And as I say, maybe sometimes it's hard. Maybe sometimes stuff happens. But church, we need to learn to forgive, to put those things behind us. I want to challenge you in terms, in the context of these scriptures this morning. Not for me or anyone else, but to say, Lord, where do I stand? What can I give? What have you given in my hand? What qualities? What skills? What giftings? It's not about giving your CV to the church. It's about saying, Lord, no matter what it costs, no matter how foolish I look, I will do it. I will serve. I will serve those people. I will greet them even if they don't greet me back. I will greet them. I will bless them. I will pray for them. I will serve them even if it doesn't feel right even if someone as I said laughed at you or said something rude I want to encourage you keep on keep on having having this heart of Christ to serve so if you are here this morning if you are here this morning and and maybe there's a hardness of heart maybe there's stuff that happens while all eyes are closed don't worry, I'm not going to call you to the front right now. But if you are here and if there's pain in your heart, maybe you are really angry towards some in the kingdom. I would love to pray with you. Just maybe speak to some of the leaders in your church to walk you through this season. But don't sit there with a vow in your heart saying, I will not serve because of something that happened. Jesus Paul, the apostles had every reason to turn their backs on people because they were laughed, stoned, beaten, all those things. If there's hurt and offense this morning, let's pray about it. Maybe I'm just going to give you a moment right now where you sit and just to bring your own heart before God 
the Holy Spirit will do the ministry. I'm just going to give us a moment and just where you are right now in the context of the sermon, our hearts regarding serving. Just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.